0: And turn with me to Luke chapter 22. We're going to be in 14 through, or chapter 22, 14 through 23. It says this. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which one of them it could be who was going to do it. Lord Jesus, I pray right now. Lord, as we are outside, as we are in, Lord, your, the, your, the breath of the, of the fresh air is filling our lungs, and the, the breeze is, is blowing, and the birds are singing traffic is going in front of us lord we are in the midst of your city this is your city this is your presence this is where your kingdom wants to dwell and so god this is where we are we are planted as your kingdom here in belgrade to be a blessing to this city so lord as we as we see this the town around us and we see the people passing by i pray just that we'll be in this prayerful disposition throughout this entire time tonight and Lord, I, I pray that you would stir in us, Lord, a desire to bless the city in which you have placed us. And God, I, I pray right now, as we read through the scripture, as we, as we delve into this, Lord, God, that you would empower every word, that you would empower our hearts to, and our ears and our, and our brains to receive. And Lord, I, I pray that you would be blessed, that your word would go out into this city. And Lord, for, to fulfill your words, that they would, your words would not return void. And Lord, that they would go out and accomplish that which you desire for them to accomplish here tonight. Lord, I pray your your Holy Spirit, your presence through us, in us. And Lord, especially as I preach your word, Lord, that I would be faithful to preach it well and to preach it faithfully. And uh, Lord, just edify all of us, build us up in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. All right, may you have a seat. Now. There's one thing I've learned about <laughs> about this passage here today, is that it is a doozy. Um, it can be dissected and dissected some more, and taken and dissected in, in under under a microscope. It, it is such a rich and powerful scripture passage, and so uh, that's why we want to start a little bit earlier because we're going to be here for a couple hours. And uh, here, <laughs> so just kidding. So we're going to be uh, we're going to be basing a lot off of this so i'm going to hand this out and you can kind of just just pass it along amongst yourselves and um take a gander through it so basically what it is is it is called a haggadah for the the a modern passover and it's kind of my own version it's a christocentric one it's just one it's just one i should have brought the stack but it's just one just you can kind of just like flip through it the (laughs) haagen and i can i also have this in a digital format so if anyone wants to actually download that and host a Seder, you know, there you go. You can do it. Um, so there's a, there's a lot that we can discuss about the last Passover, um, or as we like to call it the, the last supper, the Lord's supper, right? Um, in this passage, I mean, so much so, I mean, John, the you know, the book of John, he spent six entire chapters on this last, these last few hours, uh, before he went away to get, to be crucified. Uh, Before his trial, on just this night, this last night, and two of which, two of the chapters, entire chapters in John, ten percent. Think about this: ten percent of John's gospel talks about just the Lord's Supper, just the the Passover Seder in the upper room. So one tenth of the book, entire book of John, is about this night. So there's a lot that we could delve into in this scripture passage, but we're not going to. Um, We will spend. uh, We're actually going to dissect this a little bit deeper here. So actually, we're going to spend the next three weeks. So this coming Sunday, just in a few days, and then the last two weeks of June, just on the the, the, the time, Jesus time in the upper room with his disciples before we get to the garden. Um, but so we're going to be covering that time in the upper room. So basically the point. So here we go. Grab your pencils. Here's the point. I'll say it a few times. Uh, this is the point that I want to overarch everything that we talk about here tonight. You can flip your page over and write it in your notes, whatever it is. So here it is. The point of the Passover Is praise to our protector, the Prince of Peace. The point of the Passover is praise to our protector, the Prince of Peace. (coughs) Everyone, get. I'll say it one more time. The point of the Passover. I would normally have a you know the. TV here with <laughs> put it on here, Just leave it on there for an hour. But the point of the Passover is praise to our protector, the Prince of Peace. Now, we're going to get a little weird here. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to try not to go too deep because uh, I want you guys to not drown. Um, <laughs> so the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and the, the story of all of human history, even up to this point and beyond, is all about the Lord showing himself to be the true Lord Yahweh. And he is higher and stronger than anything and anyone in all of creation. He is the only creator God. We're just talking about that at our table over over dinner. He is the only creator God. He is the only one that is to be worshipped. I mean, the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two. You will make no images. You will not form you know, things out of clay or, or, or stone or, or, or gold or silver or bronze, images and worship them. You will worship me and worship me only. I am the only God in, you know, that, is, that deserves to be worshipped. Now, and that means as well, that there are other gods or other beings at least so the word god for god is l in the bible which means that you know he or or a substance or a a being that is to be worshiped so something deserving of worship and god is the only true god now we're gonna get a little little here's where it gets a little strange there are other heavenly beings. You look all over the Scripture. There are other beings that are called gods. Elohim means that it's it's the plural version of gods. Uh, basically, what Elohim is used for is another term for Yahweh, the Creator Lord God. But also, it's referred. He, they refer. The Bible uses this to refer to a what's like known as a heavenly council. So if you read things like, uh, like you know, let us make, make mankind in our image, uh, then you see like Job 1 and 2, you see this heavenly council of heavenly beings that are above the angels. Uh, there's a great book out there that I actually was just listening to on, on my way to Billings this morning uh, called Unseen Realm. There's a, there's a smaller version because um, the big version is basically his entire 30 years of research uh, in, in the unseen realm and in the spiritual realm from scripture and Jewish tradition. Um, and and the apocryphal books as well, like Enoch and all sorts of things, uh, but so he studies the scriptures looking for the supernatural, and so that's why his little book that's more user friendly. That's the one I read. What's that super? Is supernatural? Oh yeah, you, that's right. Yeah. So that's so his big version is Unseen Realm. So that's like everything. So I read I read supernatural supernatural a while back, but uh, so I'm in the middle of listening to you know reading listening to Unseen Realm, which is the full full one. And it it, it it just is mind-boggling the detail that it goes into. But I won't, I won't go too much into de- de- those details. But, but basically, so the hierarchy in the spiritual realm, because what we need to understand in reality is that we live in a world, I mean, look all around you. We live in a world that is natural, right? We can see, we can, I can knock on the physical realm. I can, you know, put my feet here. I mean, my feet are making divots in the, in the grass. I mean, there's a physical realm that we enjoy. Like, you know, enjoying those peanut butter chocolate pie Oreos. Heavenly, right? So, you know, with the experience, like, there is a spiritual realm. <laughs> Very spiritual experience eating those Oreos. No, but uh, but we, we live all around us in a physical realm. But as well, there is a spiritual realm all around us. We, there is another realm that is existing right now in the spiritual realm all around us that we can't see. We can feel and experience the re- the realities of what goes on in the spiritual realm, um, like I was talking about this week. This we had a powerful weekend uh, at a conference in in Bozeman, and something I, I, I you know use the phrase broke broke basically. Something broke in, and then things started to happen and experiences started happen, happening happening. Um, prophetic words were being given. People almost died, you know, <laughs> and and not that wasn't the only thing. But then Monday. I mean, look at the 150-year the you know, flood that we've been getting. And one of the spirits that they called out was the Leviathan spirit, which was a water spirit, which exists in the Yellowstone River. Because think about all the supernatural, you know, occultish practices that are going on between Yellowstone and Livingston. All the bloodshed. Bozeman was murdered on the, on, the, on the shore of the Yellowstone River, right where it's flooding. Bozeman owns a, still to this day, his family owns the ranch that was his historic ranch in the Paradise Valley that also flooded, is on the Yellowstone. Bloodshed. And then there's also in the, in the, in the, in the arch, the great Roosevelt Arch, there's a, a cornerstone that has Freemason stuff, junk, crap buried in it. And they made the cornerstone of the Rose, Roosevelt Arch out of this pagan material. And so we, have, we see this, this whole reality of just spiritual things happening. When, when, when God breaks through, things happen in the spiritual realm, yes, but we, it happens and manifests in the physical realm as well. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, <clears throat> so, what we're talking about here is so they're talking about uh, that nothing else needs to be worshiped except for Yahweh God, our Yahweh Lord God, the creator God of, of all things he is the only one that is to be worshipped. Not the gods, not mankind. We don't turn and worship humanity. We don't worship nature. You know, that God is the the God above. The Lord Yahweh is the God above nature, the God above disease, the God above natural occurrences, and also the the spiritual realm. That he and he alone is the true creator. This is what Passover is all about. God is putting on display his power and identity and showing his favor for his people. He's showing his love, his mercy, his protection for his people, for those who worship him. He does this in both the physical and the spiritual realm. This is why we talk about this concept of spiritual warfare, how do we do our spiritual warfare? How do we wrestle? What? Where is our wrestling? And remember, remember, there's our wrestling with people. No, who is our wrestling with? Principalities, authorities, rulers in the unseen realm. That's what we wrestle against. Right? We don't go out. And, you know, the, the, the Crusades were. Oh, a hey, there was no. There were actually no actual Christians in the Crusades. That's an old, old story. But, <laughs> um, but the, the, you know, that warfare in the in Christian realm is not meant to be physical. And, for, I mean, for years, I mean, people did such horrible things, so much bloodshed in the name of Christ that was not actually Christ. Evil men doing evil things in the name of God is not God. Um, and so they're so in life, it's spiritual warfare. And how, how do we do our warfare? How do we engage in spiritual warfare? The greatest way that we engage in spiritual warfare is prayer. Prayer. Because who is it that's doing the fighting? God. He even tells Israel that, you know, that when they're doing physical wars, he's like, just go show up and I will go before you. You don't even have to do a thing. Right, And so oftentimes, like, you'll see these stories where God just throws the armies into confusion and they kill each other. And they didn't have to lift a finger. All because they were walking with God. They were walking in the presence of God, letting him bless them and blessing the Lord, serving him, loving and serving one another and devoting themselves to peace amongst one another. <clears throat> but this is the story all about how Egypt's life got flipped upside down. One person got it. <laughs> so this is the whole concept of the Passover. So the, our, our story today, our passage today is about Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. During what? The Passover. The Passover feast is going on right now. Uh, at least with, he, with him and his disciples. And like I said last week, I posed that he's actually doing it a day early. Um, but that's, we'll get to that in the future. Um, So basically the Passover is all about the conclusion to the 12 plagues, the 12 miracles of God, that God came and he caused all these great and and terrible things to happen for his glory, to show his might, to show his, his rulership over everything. Now, but here's the thing. The purpose of the Passover, the purpose of the 10 plagues is, is this. If you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 12, you'll see it in verse 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both animals and pe- people and animals. I am the Lord. Here is the line. Here it is. Listen Listen for this. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of egypt all the gods of egypt that was the whole purpose of the plagues that was the whole purpose it wasn't he didn't have a grudge against the egyptians he had a grudge against the egyptian gods and who are the egyptian gods do you remember their names osiris isis hermes horus set this whole pantheon of murder you know ra the sun god all all these murderous and adulterous incestual evil and wicked and filthy and dirty beings. But here, if if we've learned anything about the Elohim and the spirits and the angels and everything that fell, right? We've learned this. The gods that the Egyptians worshipped are real. The gods of the Egyptians were real. They're still real. They're still territorial spirits and demonic, in the demonic spiritual realm, that are over certain territories and regions. Territorial spirits. And God was judging all of them. The entire Bible is a book about spiritual warfare. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about God picking a fight with his enemy, destroying them, showing his power over them. And that spiritual warfare spilled over into the physical realm through the ten plagues. Because that's how they were worshipped. Yo, know, remember the, the darkness? So darkness came upon the whole land. What god was he judging? Ra, the sun god. These different gods. The the livestock. The disease on the cattle. He was judging Osiris, who was worshipped with a cow. It was this this bull with the with the big circle you know, between his ears like this. You know between his horns. You know, the big horns are coming up here. There's a big circle plate right here, right? And that's probably the calf that the is that the that the Israelites made out of gold. They melted all the jewelry down and stuff and made a a calf, a golden calf, right? And that's what they were probably making was a idol to Osiris. God was judging the gods of Egypt and it manifested in the physical realm, right? Neptune and Poseidon, water gods, Leviathan spirits, winged spirits. God is judging them now, today. God has begun to start to judge them today, but that's another story. Let's get to the word. I love this. So Passover. So this is in conclusion, at the very end of him describing all of the uh, all of the plagues. So this is the very last plague. This is the context of Passover. And This is beautiful. This is awesome. Check this out. I never grasped this until I was preparing for Passover and trying to redo the little haggadagada da ga da da ga da, yeah, da ga So check this out so he's we'll just read we'll just read it can't read too much of the word of god right well i guess you can i guess i wouldn't want to stop and just read the entire bible tonight that would be yeah never mind The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is the beginning of the month for, of the months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day this month they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families. One animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. So share. Potluck. This is basically the early potluck right here. Right there. Boom. In the scripture. You should apportion the animal according to each what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, animal, a year old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the door, on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. They are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So right there at the beginning, we, we see the, the, the combination of today's modern day uh, seders. The, and so in Jesus's time, they probably had a satyr. They were doing this. They were eating the lamb and they were eating unleavened bread with the bitter herbs. I mean, right at the, at the end where, there, where Jesus is saying that, you know, the, my betrayer is what? Dipping with me? He's probably dip he's talking probably talking about dipping the bread, the, the unleavened bread, into the bitter herbs. Which was horseradish. But you know, for, for you know for us. And so we made a mistake this last Passover. Um, I, I asked I was like, oh yeah, get the extra hot. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was extra hot, all right. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what, woo, it'll clear your nostrils up real quick. Oh my gosh, I'll never forget that Passover. Woo! Man, they were stout. <laughs> well, and so it's supposed to represent the bitterness of the, of slavery. That's why the bitter herbs is to remember the bitterness of slavery when they were slaves in the land of Egypt. They were supposed to remember that the, the unleavened bread. They didn't have time for the bread to rise. So they were because they were making it in a, in a hurry, and so they didn't have time to let the bread rise. And so they would take the, this, this this bread to remember. God sustaining them and dip it into the bitterness and eat it. But then they would dip it into the maror, which was this myth or, uh, or the haroset. That's what it's called. Haroset. That's a fun word to say, which is, uh, which is um, what's called uh, like a sweet apple and wine and nuts mixture to show that even, even in the midst of great bitterness, there's, there can still be sweetness in the midst of it because God is with us. Even in the midst of the, of the worst and the hardest times in our world, we know that God is with us and that adds a little bit of sweetness to the bitter. The bitterness of life. God is there. He said, Do not, uh, do not uh, eat any of it raw or, or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire. Because it's, I guess, quicker than boiling water. Its head as well as its legs and inner organs. Blah! You must not leave, leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left until morning, you must burn. I would be burning the inner organs. Yeah. <laughs> and the head. <laughs> Um, here is how you must eat it. You must eat it must be dressed for travel, your, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. Here's that line again, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both male both animals and people. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. You must eat unleavened bread for seven days. On the first day, you must remove yeast from all your houses. This is what Jesus was doing in the temple. He was removing the yeast from his father's house when he was clearing the temple, right? Getting everyone out um whoever eats what is leavened uh, from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from israel you are to hold a sacred assembly on the first day and another sacred assembly on the seventh day no work may be done on those days except for preparing what people need to eat you may only do that you are to observe the festival of unleavened bread because on this very day i brought you i brought your military divisions out of the land of egypt "'You must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statute. "'You are to eat unleavened bread in the first month from the evening of the fourth uh, fourth day— four, "'I'm sorry, fourteenth day of the month until the evening of the twenty-first day. "'Yeast must not be found in your homes for seven days. "'If anyone eats something leavened, that person, whether a resident alien or native of the land, "'must be cut off from the community of Israel. "'Do not eat anything leavened. Eat unleavened bread in all your homes.'" Then Moses summoned the elders of Israel and said to them, Go select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and brush the lintel of the two two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, listen to this, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. Let me read that line again, just in case we missed it. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. Here's an interesting context for us. So the Egyptian the Egyptian gods were worshipped by the Egyptians. Do you know where? At the door. They had a little family altar right there, basically almost inset into the door, like right there next to the door. And their little the household idols, you know, gods were usually put into the door frame or into the shrine, kind of right there next to the door. And they, because what they believed was when they got their little idols, they put them in the doors, and then they offered a sacrifice. They, they, they spilled the blood at the door on the ground, and then they would, they would pass over the, the blood by stepping over it, and they believed by doing so, they were inviting the presence of that deity into their home to pass over the door, the doorway, into, welcoming them into the house to give them the benefits of, of, the, of the worship. Oftentimes, what they you know, the household gods were there for the protection of the of the residents. They welcomed them in, so that they would you know provide for them, that they would give them babies, give them food, have a good harvest, so that would give them life, give them happiness, give them power, and most often they would get, They believe that these these gods would give them protection, but they believed that and so this this phrase Pesach meaning to pass over, wasn't this like, oh, I see it and I'm just going to pass over the door. I'm just going to keep going. Did you read that last verse there? He will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. So they would take the blood on the hyssop branch and they would top, door, door. What shape does that make? Makes the shape of a cross. Because it would put on the, on the top and it would drip down. It would put some on the door, on the two sides, creating a line. Creating, and you, you know what, what kind of, of branch they, you know, we're gonna get that in a few weeks, but they offered Jesus the sour wine on, this, on the sponge at the end of what? A hyssop branch. We'll get to more detail on that. It gets pretty fun there too, but we'll get to that in a couple months when we get to the crucifixion. But this is basically, this is God saying to the Israelites, I will be your protector. Offer the sacrificial lamb, put the door on your, po- on your doorposts. Here's the thing. There were no idols. God didn't possess objects. He entered into the home when he was in. And here's the thing. God only will enter a home if he's invited. God will only enter into your lives if he is welcome and invited. Into your situations. Into your family. Into your daily walk. Into your prayer life. Into your worship. God will only enter where he is welcome and invited. To do what? Remember our point. The point of the Passover is praise to our what? Protector, the Prince of Peace. And so that's what this Passover is all about. So Jesus knows that he is about to go to the cross. He is about to become our Passover sacrifice. He is about to become our Passover lamb when he was crucified at the time when they're when they're sacrificing all of the Passover lambs in the temple. Jesus is about to become that, so that anyone who puts their faith in him, pledges their full life, and, and proclaims the, Jesus the Lord of their lives, that he will what? Anoint them with his blood. His blood will wash over them, us, wash over us. And that he will what? Enter in by pouring out his Holy Spirit, by giving us his Holy Spirit, by anointing us and filling us to overflowing. Like he said, the fountain, as he says, right? The spring in us, bubbling up to eternal life, bubbling up to salvation. That is the promise of this Passover meal. And if you look at this, you'll see that this is different. So there's two, there's only one there's only two cups, not just one. You notice that? Right there in, in, uh, in verse 17. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink of, of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread. Okay, thanks. So this this first cup. So in the in the Passover Seder, um, there are four cups of wine. Tell you what, Jewish people know how to party. Four cups of wine. They get schnackered at fe- at, at Seders and festivals. That's why we use the little glasses. <laughs> little glasses to because it's supposed to be overflowing, right? And so they so they the so the four glasses of wine, as you'll see in the haggad haggadagadagada. Ha- 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 da- da- um, are the cup of sanctification, uh, or dedication, rather, and the cup of thanksgiving, right? And so let me let me grab that uh, this real quick. Hagada. <laughs> so the second cup is the cup of thanksgiving, and what did it say that Jesus did when he when he took it? He said he took a cup, and after what, giving thanks, he took the cup of thanksgiving. This is the cup that he took that this first cup, and this is the blessing that he probably gave. He probably said this in the in that time, and if I can find it. Taking <laughs> time, that's the plagues. If I can find it here, maybe let's read the first one since it's this basically the same one. So he takes the, the cup here. Here we go. The mat. Oh, that's, that's not yet. Four cups of wine. There we are. Oh, here we are. Here is the blessing. Baruch Ata Adonai, or Baruch Ata Yahweh, elehenu, melech haolam bore pri hagafen. It's fun to say in Hebrew, which means blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. Who creates the fruit of the vine? The second cup is the cup of thanksgiving. Moses left the wilderness to return to the palace, the very place he had been raised. He returned with the message the Lord had given him, and but uh, but God Himself warned that Mo- Moses that the resistance would uh, he would encounter. Tell about the the different plagues and that God is with them throughout the whole time again. The full cup is a symbol of joy, and indeed, on this occasion, we are filled with joy at God's mighty deliverance. But let's also remember the great cost at which redemption was purchased. Lives were sacrificed to bring about the release of God's people from the slavery of Egypt. But a far greater price purchased our redemption from slavery to sin, the death of Jesus Christ. And at that point, they would take their finger and dip it into the cup and drip it on and you know, drip it out. Each drop was a different plague. Um... And so this cup of thanksgiving for, for what God had done in the Passover, that he came in, that he became their protector. He, he you know, gave them this, the, the, sacrificial, you know, the sacrificial lamb. And then he what He took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. And it's interesting, if you look at the, at the Passover Seder, you'll see the bread. It's what's called the matzah, the matzah bread. Or there's also this one that's called the apikomen. Which this may be the one that Jesus actually took and broke and gave to everyone, uh, but here, here's a here's where it talks about the matzah. Here, the matzah. Um Basically, he takes the, the he takes the different uh, matzo, matzot, um, and he takes he the, the person who's leading the, the seder breaks the middle piece and takes uh, the the other piece and, and goes and hides it. Somewhere that becomes the Afikomen. It's hidden somewhere, and the children go and find it, right? So he breaks that bread, and then he takes one and he sends it off to hide it. And then he takes the rest of it, and he separate and he spreads it out. And this is what they're dipping. They dip the matzah into the horseradish, and then they dip the matzah into the the and the and the the bitter you know, and the horseradish. Um, but think about this imagery. This imagery of the broken bread. And you know the broken body of Christ. He said, right? He said, This is my body broken for you. Where did that other half go? He hid it. Where was where did his body go after it was broken? Into the into the tomb. His body was hidden. Right? And so, and then we see this, you know, the, the bread and, and the and the bitterness and the dipping and all these all these different things that he is the bread of the matzah. He is the the pure, the unleavened, cuz leaven remember signifies sin, right? So sin, he took the he took the bread that represents this pure, undefiled, unblemished, unleavened bread that is that is him. He is our unleavened, unblemished, you know, without sin bread. The bread of life. And then he took the cup again. He took the cup. What is that? In the same way, after supper, again, because they they eat the supper, and then there's another cup. And this is the cup of redemption. There's a cup of redemption, and then there's a cup of praise. There's four cups, remember? So there's two before supper. There's the bread, and then there is the two cups after supper. So the cup of redemption. And Jesus says that this cup... This cup, the cup of redemption. This, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, that is poured out for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He poured out redemption so that we would be, would be like, like them. We would paint the, the blood of Christ on our lives through pledging our faith, but through pledging our lives, through believing in him. Yes, having a mental assent to say, yes, I believe that God is real. Yes, I believe that God loves me. Yes, I believe that Jesus came, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the tomb. And I will pledge all of my life, all of my days, all of my everything that I am and, and every, everything that I do, to the love and the service of the Lord and his mission of furthering the kingdom of God here on this earth. Here, furthering the kingdom of God in Belgrade, right here. This is where it starts. It starts by going, us going loading up in our cars and going into Belgrade or walking across the street to Dukes, as we can see right there. Lord, bless Dukes with your Holy Spirit. Bless it, Lord Jesus. Fill it with your presence, Lord God. Take the kingdom of God wherever you go. Take blessing. Take honor. Take the Holy Spirit wherever you go. And other passages say that after... You know, um, I will, I get, we'll, we'll get to that, that one, I guess, next next time. But basically, like, they sang a hymn, which is probably most likely the Hallel in Psalm 113, 118. But I think we'll get to that, that one probably next week. Um, but basically, to remember... That by Jesus' death on the cross, becoming our Passover lamb, our house, our life, our body, our spirit, our soul is filled with his presence and we are delivered from the powers of evil. We are set free from the wicked, fallen, wannabe, little, little G gods. They call themselves gods, but they're not really gods. They suck at being gods only our lord god is good at being a god because he is god he is the lord he is the most high he is the one who rules and created all things and by the very word of his power he holds all things together he holds your life together he holds your marriages together he holds your friendships together he holds your income and your jobs and your and your bills and your debts He holds all things together. He holds you together as you're trying to get out of debt, as you're trying to get yourself into a position of flourishing. He holds your life together. He alleviates your anxieties and your fears because he is the God above all God. He is the God above all fears. He is the God above all worries. Anything that could cause us worry, anxiety, fear, distress, you know, anxiousness, Anger, frustration—he has conquered it all, so that he can enter into our lives, so that he can bring us into his life, that we are, as Second as Peter says, we have been—you know—become partakers of his divine nature. He is the priest. He is the the great. High Priest who intercedes for us. He is our Passover Lamb. He is the Prince of Peace. And the point of the Passover, remember, is praise to the Prince of Peace. Praise to our protector, the Prince of Peace. And so we can live Passover lives every day. We can, enter, we can wake up every day and thank the Lord God that he entered into, that he crossed the threshold into this world, took upon himself our sins, took upon himself everything that separated us, having reconciled us to God. And entering into your life entering into you pouring out his Holy Spirit into your life bubbling up to eternal life to be your protector and to be your peace no matter what floods no matter if you almost die no matter if there's worries and anxieties in our lives he entered in so that he would alleviate all fears alleviate our anxieties alleviate that which we were that we We're slaves to. And that we sometimes can feel enslaved to in our lives. He wants to give us freedom. He desires to remind us that he is our freedom, that he is our joy. He is our protector, our prince of peace. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you that you have... (laughs) You came to be our Passover lamb, Lord, that you would not just rescind your, your wrath and pass over. your wrath would pass over us, Lord, the destroyer would pass over us, but Lord, that you entered in, you passed over into the threshold, over, over the threshold into our lives. You didn't have to do that. That seems so demeaning to your, your holiness and your, your might to enter into our small lives. But Lord, you chose to because you wanted to. You desired for us to know you. You desired for, to be with us. as even it says in Revelation, that, we, that you will come and dwell with your people face to face, that you will be our God and we will be your people without, with no separation, no veil over our heads. But Lord, uh, right now and today, we are your people. You are our God. You are Yahweh. King above kings, Lord above all lords, God above the gods, the only God worthy of worship, the only God worthy of our praise. You are Lord. God, I pray that you would empower us with your mission, that you would empower us with your love and your hope and your peace that you have bestowed upon us, that we can go out into our daily lives and the, and the world that you have given us to further the kingdom of God, to push back the darkness, Lord, to, to battle for the, the city of Belgrade, for their good, for their joy, for their flourishing. Lord, you would, I pray that you would bless Belgrade. Bless this city, Lord Jesus. Bless every resident in this town. Bless our our, our city council, Lord, our commission, our city commissioners, our mayor, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would bless those in leadership and and, and guidance, Lord, with the community coalition and with the chamber of commerce, Lord, I pray that you would bless Dukes, (laughs) Lord, you would bless this church, that you would bless downtown by the freeway, Lord, that you would bless Broadway right here, Lord, I pray that this would be an anointed and holy street, that this would be holy ground, Lord Jesus, that when people drive down this street, that they would sense your presence and drawing them into your faith in you, Lord, that they would sense something different about this block, that they just want to drive by this building because your Holy Spirit, Lord, the the presence of of your spirit, the presence of your goodness is just bubbling over and spilling out into the streets of Belgrade, Lord. Lord, let us be a blessing to this city. Let us be a blessing to our neighbors. Let us bring peace Let us bring your love. Let us bring your joy. Bring your kingdom, Lord God. Your kingdom come and your will be done in Belgrade as it is in heaven. Lead us, guide us, fill us to manifest your kingdom come here in this city, Lord. God, encourage us and bless our hearts. Uplift us, Lord, and bring us closer together as the family of God, as brothers and sisters in the faith, as we fellowship and as we uh, encounter one another this summer in in many different ways. Lord, just walk with us every day. Let us each walk by the presence of your Holy Spirit and are working, living and active in each one of our lives. To the praise and glory of your name. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. All these things. Amen.